Senate President Susan Wagel is concluding a 30-year career in the Kansas legislature, certainly a test of endurance. Welcome to the Kansas Reflector Podcast. I'm Tim Carpenter. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, Senator Wagel, you've had eight years as Senate President. You've served in the House and Senate. You've, you've watched a lot of politics in the State House over the years. You also ran for Lieutenant Governor more recently for the U.S. Senate. How do you think Kansas politics has changed since 1990? Honestly, Tim, it hasn't changed much. Every legislator in that capital, every individual who's elected has a different perspective. Yes, they belong to a party, but they all come with different backgrounds, different experiences, and different goals. So uh, we're just as diverse now as we used to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So let's look at today's political climate. Do you think the state's heading in the right direction? Well, this climate is very unique uh, over the entire time I've ever served because we're in a COVID environment. And uh, we were, the economy was running strong. People had jobs. Uh, kids were in school. We had consistency, continuity. We could predict the future. And there's a lot of unrest right now. And people are very concerned about their futures. They're concerned about their jobs. They're concerned uh, about their children's education. Um, there's a lot of unrest out there now. But this is the first time I've served under a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. In- unless you're 110 years old or so, I don't think you, you could have. Uh, so, so one of the interesting things about Kansas politics is there was a time where every statewide elective office was held by a Republican. All the federal offices were held by Republicans. But right now, in 2018, a Democrat was elected to Congress from Kansas, and Laura Kelly was elected as governor. Is there something going on there, or were these flukes? Well, our suburban areas are changing just a bit. I think the working moms want a voice. And uh, certainly we had a a female congresswoman, Sharice Davis, who just won two years ago. She beat a a male incumbent. And so I think there was unrest in in the suburban community amongst those moms who uh, take their kids to daycare on the way to work. And they have a a little more stress in their lives than uh, women experienced 20, 30 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that some of that political sentiment is here to stay? Sharice uh, Davis represents largely Wyandotte and Johnson County, or is it something about those areas that are trending Democrat or moderate Republican? Well, nationally, you can see the rural areas staying very Republican mm-hmm. and suburban areas moving more to the Democrat Party, um, helping modern-day families resolve problems. So... Um, there's always political movements and trends, and right now our, our, our big cities are, are changing color just a bit. Okay. So you were the first woman in Kansas history to serve as Senate president, and um, so do you think the political fortunes of women are on the rise in Kansas? I think it would be a welcome sign if, if, it, if they were. I hope so. Uh, certainly we're much more diverse now than we used to be, but um, the Republican Party needs to be more diverse. We need to be more representative uh, of our communities. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a healthy thing for women, a healthy thing for minorities, and diversity is expected in our country and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Good. 
So before we get to specific Kansas policy issues, I want to ask you about the current U.S. Senate race. You were a candidate for a period of time. Why did you decide to withdraw? Well, this has clearly been the most difficult year of my life. Uh, When I entered the race, I talked to all my children, and they all said, yes, Mom, you'd be a great senator. Please run. Please run for the grandkids' sake. And uh, my daughter at that time was battling multiple myeloma. Uh, We thought that she would have a cure, that she'd go into transplant, and she would be well. And actually, she went into transplant, and in December, they told us her transplant failed. So um, we went on to different treatments for a number of months, and I lost her in March. And um, my family needed me, and it was very unexpected, and I just... I couldn't keep up with that race and with COVID breaking out all across Kansas. So, uh, sorry, I'm getting teary-eyed. I, uh, it was, it's still very hard for me because I didn't expect to lose my daughter, but I did on March 17th. And I think every, we're, I'm profoundly sorry for your loss. It's, uh, it's unimaginable, but I think everybody would understand that sentiment, you know? Yeah, it was... Um, it's, it's been good for me because I've been able to be with my grandchildren, and uh, actually I have 16 now, and they've been able to play with each other, and they've needed that time for their healing too. So um, uh, it was unexpected, but um, it was the right thing for me to do at the time. Okay. Well, in your absence, uh, maybe you avoided this kind of thing, but Chris Kobach, Roger Marshall, and Bob Hamilton have have engaged in a very vigorous campaign uh, lots of TV ads, a lot of mailers, a lot of accusations. Do you have a feel for where that campaign is at? This will, this podcast will be broadcast uh, actually the day before the election. So where do you feel that's going? Is there a trend there? Well, I just looked at the mail-in ballots. They're higher than they've ever been. Because of the COVID crisis, a lot of counties mailed out ballots to voters. Mm -hmm. So we've had a significant number of them having been turned in. We could have a record turnout in the midst of COVID. Um, I think people care about who's elected in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Republicans care very much about holding the U.S. Senate. But they want someone, they are also very anti-establishment. They want our problems fixed. So it's very hard to say. I, I think right now it's, uh, it's a two-way race between Marshall and Kobach with Hamilton gaining steam. So um, it's very hard to say what's going to happen in the next few days and who's going to win. And I absolutely think at this point in time, Tim, polls are totally irrelevant. And people are so tired of the phoning and the texting and they're getting tired of the commercials too. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's unpredictable, but I think we need to respect the winner in the party. And as Republicans, we need to unite behind the winner. And we need to keep, and in my opinion, this seat needs to stay Republican. Um, and it's been very healthy uh, to keep the U.S. Senate Republican in the midst of the Pelosi era. So um, I'm not sure who's going to win but I'm very confident that we're going to have a lot of repair work to do come next Wednesday to support the winner and pull people together. I don't think a Democrat has won a U.S. Senate seat from Kansas since 1932, so uh, that is a definite trend there in favor of Republicans. I was wondering if this mega-million-dollar bloodbath of a primary in the GOP could carry over in some way to the general election for the benefit of likely nominee Barbara Bollier. Well, 
no one has spent any money on Barbara's negatives at this point in time. I've served with her in the Kansas Senate, and there can be just as many negative commercials go out about Barbara as you've seen about the Republicans, and it will happen. Sure. So um, Kansas leans Republican. They lean conservative. We want problem solvers in the U.S. Senate. We want people we can talk to. We want people who are relational. We want people who will lower the cost of health care, who will uh, bring down the debt. We want, we want people who will actively be involved, communicate with us, and make some tough votes. So we'll draw a circle around the winner, and we will do everything to get that person elected. And you're going to see next October just as many negative ads as you're seeing now on television. Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm sure there'll be a lot of money invested in that. Out-of-state money you know, will be invested in that race because those Senate seats uh, are so highly prized. I want to ask you about a congressional race, and I don't want you to tell me you know, whether you like these candidates or not. But just a very unusual situation where a U.S. Representative, Steve Watkins, the incumbent, was charged recently with several felonies related to uh, election fraud. How, how do you how can can you imagine what it would be like to be a candidate for public office like that and be charged by the district attorney? And like, how do you recover from that? Is it is it possible? Well, since I'm political and I watch the iPhone, you know, all that news popped up on the night that happened, and it was right before a debate. And I remember uh, seeing uh, Representative Watkins uh, walk out of the debate, and they asked him what happened. And he <clears throat> he said, oh, it's just like Trump and Russia. They're blaming me for things to keep me out of office because I'm, I'm solving your problems. So I don't know if the public's going to believe that. Or say, hey, this man's done something wrong. Yeah, the point you're making is that uh, Jake LaTurner, the individual running against Steve Watkins, and the district attorney of Shawnee County, I think, share a political consultant. I think that's what the the point that Watkins was making about collusion. So, yeah, the timing of the uh, announcement of the charges was very suspicious. So I'm sh- I'm sure everybody noticed and, that. And there are a lot of Republicans who think that Trump's been attacked unfairly. So we'll just have to wait and see how that turns out, too. So let's step into the presidential race real quick. What do you think about President Trump and how his uh, reelection is going? Well, <clears throat> you know, he's clearly not a politician. He's very authentic. He always speaks his mind. Uh, you know, he's he's been a business leader, and, and he's hired employees, and he's very different relational, and uh, people get very angry with him. They think he's uh, caustic. They think he's arrogant. Um, on the other hand, I look at him as a problem solver, a person who's willing to take on the establishment, a person who's willing uh, to address problems directly and solve the problems. And when he says he wants to make America great again, he sincerely wants to, he's doing that. Uh, With COVID, he stockpiled the ventilators, had them made. Um, I I think he wins re-election. So you don't think uh, Joe Biden could take advantage of the situation and, and catch him? Well, they're trying. They're yeah. clearly trying to make all people feel like we're living in fear. And if you walk out in the streets, you might catch COVID and then there's not a cure. Uh, they're trying uh, to make the electorate very restless and uncertain about mm. the future. But um, I think in the end, people are going to feel more confident with President Trump bringing back the economy, bringing back jobs, you know, uh, creating the drugs we need and the vaccines that we need to treat the virus, 
I think they're going to have confidence in the president, and I think he's going to be reelected. Yeah, I, I like your idea about polling. I don't have a lot of confidence in polling, and a lot of things could change between now and November, that's for sure. All right, let's shift back to the statehouse politics, and I want to begin with an issue dear to you. What happened when the legislature failed to pass a proposed constitutional amendment saying that the Kansas Constitution doesn't guarantee you the right to abortion? That's not going to be on ballots this year, and I would have assumed that a lot of people thought it would. What happened? Well, we we passed uh, the question to put on the ballot in the Kansas Senate. Uh, The House came up a few votes short. Um, I would say, for the most part, Kansans are very pro-life. But I don't see that as a driving issue now in the August election. Um, I think that maybe after the consequences come, uh, after other issues are questioned at the Kansas court, uh, whether or not it's uh, regulations for abortion clinics um, or some of the other issues that are coming up the pike, I think once the consequences are seen in the court of the fundamental right to an abortion that ultimately strikes down all reasonable restrictions, I think Kansans will react and it will become more important. But right now, I don't see abortion as a driving issue in this election. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Uh, I imagine that issue will will con- will resurface as you, as you suggest, uh, perhaps later. Um, so you've long opposed Medicaid expansion, despite most states accepting all those billions of dollars for health care. Why? Well, <clears throat> it's not a quality program. It's it's a it's a program that's very restricted. It's not the best health care for everyone. It's a government-run health care program. And I would rather <clears throat> have health care reform and bring costs down. Costs have exploded since Obamacare passed. Your deductibles have gone from 2000 to 8000 a year. Your prescriptions drugs are through the roof. Your health care costs are through the roof. In that Obamacare package, they pleased the insurance companies, and, and they catered to the health care system rather than bring costs down. So uh, they subsidized a system that uh, serves only a few, and I would rather see health care reform. Mm-hmm. So let's, I'll take the contrarian question here. What if you're among the, we'll say, 100,000 Kansans who don't have quality health insurance? What if you're one of those people? Uh, you maybe don't care about the details of it all. You just want health insurance. You want health care. So what do you say to those individuals in Kansas? Well, when they get on the Medicaid program and find how difficult it is to find a doctor and to get the kind of care that other insurance offers, Mm -hmm. then they go, wait a minute, this isn't the plan that my neighbor has. Uh, this is a plan where you're, it's difficult to get served. You have to wait in line. You have to go to certain precise, uh, providers and, uh, the paperwork is unbelievable. Mm. (laughs) The, uh, the channels you have to run through to actually get an appointment and make sure you go to the right doctor or one that will be paid. Um, it, it's a government-run system. If you ask anybody who's on Medicaid, they, they, they don't feel like it really serves their best interest. It's capped, and um, there's got to be other solutions. You mentioned a government-run program and frustration, and my mind immediately lurched to the Kansas Department of Labor. And uh, during all this pandemic, I actually have personal experience with this. Uh, What a nightmare. Uh, How in the hell did Kansas get to a place where it was such a dysfunctional program 
uh, providing. I know, I know, a couple hundred thousand people run ran to the Department of Labor, but the system totally broke down for well, months and down. months and months. Uh-huh. Broke. It broke down when the employees didn't have to show up for work and you drive over to the parking lots of the centers and no one was there. So they were funneling calls to people at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the governor should have had staffers present, picking up the phone, answering phone calls. Uh, she should have been processing the claims. We've put millions and millions of dollars into that computer system for many years. And um, I, we clearly had a secretary who wasn't doing her job. Uh, we told the governor that you have serious problems over here. She ignored him. She ignored him. She ignored him. And then when all of a sudden people had money lifted out of their accounts uh, for overpayments, all of a sudden uh, she replaced uh, the secretary. And, and actually there's been a, uh, a job application for secretary of labor out there. So um, we're shorthanded. She should have moved employees over to the Department of Labor to handle the influx. She should have opened up 24 hours a day. She should have been open on weekends. That was our safety net for the unemployed Kansans. And she should have paid more attention to that problem. And if you had to do it by hand and insert the numbers into the computer, if that's what it takes, it should have been fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in hindsight, you know, like hindsight is great, but they could have brought in an army of people and kept them six feet apart and gave everyone on the phone and, and just worked on that, that backlog much harder. No one's in the Capitol. I mean, she could have brought them into the Capitol if she needed a facility. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, this is an issue that you may not spend much time on, but I'm kind of curious about why Kansas hasn't been able to adopt a bill to allow sports betting, sports gambling. I know there's a lot of factions going on there. Is it just too complicated? Can people not get along? Do the lobbyists not hang out together anymore and make deals behind closed doors? What the heck is happening? Well, uh, there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of money involved in that program. And then there's the opposite interest of the state lottery, who wants their fair share of, uh, of, of gaming, too. So uh, I would say uh, no one's compromised and you're dealing with a, a good sized pot of money when it comes to sports gambling. And uh, there hasn't been a bill that has brought all the interests together yet to this point. Yeah, when you got a lot of money at stake, uh, that that brings a lot of eyeballs to it, and that maybe that's a problem. Let's talk about COVID-19. You've been critical of the governor's leadership directly. I think I was at a meeting in which she was sitting 10 feet from you, and you told her that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so explain your view about how the governor has handled COVID-19. Well, her plan was just to shut down business, and she left what was called the essential businesses open. And if you walked into a Home Depot or a Lowe's, uh, or a grocery store. Uh, they're crowded. They're packed. People weren't wearing masks. There were no extra sanitary conditions. And she's had one set of standards for some businesses. And then she had the essential businesses uh, that were allowed to open 24 hours a day. So all the essential businesses, which are, uh, you know, mostly stock owned, uh, they did very well. Uh, their profits soared. And Kansas businesses just went underwater. And if you talk to rural Kansas, they'd say, you know what, there's a Walmart outside of town. Everybody went there and my main street is closed. And so she shut down small businesses. That has an impact. When she could have said, open up safely, 
have people wear masks. You can require temperature checks on the way in. You can keep people distancing it at six feet. I said, open up to 50% of capacity. People have to pay their rent. They have to pay their electricity bills. They've got their phone lines. They have consistent expenses. And if she just could have worked with these small businesses with some regulations Mm -hmm. that made their environment safer, maybe a special cleaning, uh, you know, those facilities are far clean with those more clean than uh, the lumber yards and the and the essential stores it, 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 it was a two-tiered system you're a winner or a loser and a lot of Kansans lost a lot of money Senator Wagle what you're saying makes sounds perfect makes perfect sense in hindsight but I'm going to go back a few months and there were there were Republicans in the legislature who were absolutely skeptical that COVID-19 was a problem and if anybody had recommended or issued an executive order, everybody wears a mask, everybody opens at 50%. There would have been massive pushback to that, just like there was for other executive orders. Don't you think? I mean, I, I know what you're saying sounds reasonable today, but I just wonder about back then when some of these issue, executive orders were issued, if she would have gotten a terrible reception to that as well. Well, she went too far. She closed the churches after the AG told her that he, that couldn't be enforced. And she, she wasn't reasonable when she dealt with Kansas small businesses. She didn't make those recommendations. She just said, shut your doors. Mm-hmm. And um, the economic impact has been horrendous. She was the first governor in the nation to shut down schools for the entire year. And education is very important to our vulnerable class of, of, of children who need to be in school. Uh, I taught special ed. I taught children with very special needs, and they need to be in school. They need oversight. They need interaction with a teacher. That's where you catch abuse. That's where you find children who are hungry. That's where you find abuse. And closing down the safety net of schools when children are much less likely to either contract the virus or pass the virus, that was the wrong thing for our Kansas kids. And they're still losing out on school. Do you think you could have gone along with some of these restrictions on COVID if her executive orders were nuanced to say uh, there has to be a threshold of infection in a county uh, before certain rules are implemented. You know, there are rural can- there's a couple of rural Kansas counties, I think, that ha- don't have any uh, COVID cases. Uh, Correct. Least, uh, so it's pretty much spread around the state. But some, state, some counties have 5, 10, 15. Some have 4,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just, I've always thought that maybe a differentiated policy rather than a statewide blanket rule would have been something that would have worked better for everyone. I've said with every one of her orders that one size doesn't fit all. We're a very mm-hmm. diverse state. And uh, that's why we wanted to make sure local communities had their say. So uh, I, th- I think we, she's actually harmed businesses in Kansas, especially the small business owner, which is uh, the lifeblood of our economy. So uh, she's now talking about doing that again next week. Yeah, but she doesn't actually have the power to do that anymore because in a special session, the legislature took away her authority. She can't order these additional restrictions. They would be up to the county, right? Right. Uh, yeah. I agree with you, but then why did she make the threat? Well, no, she a threat, and I will, I will issue. I'm threatening to issue a recommendation, is what she was saying. I think <clears throat> so. But it's a guidance. It's there are certain counties that will follow her guidance, but there are certain counties that will not. Right. And even to this day, where I think the idea of wearing a mask is growing in popularity as a sensible thing to do when you're out and about with other people, there's still 
counties that have said thumbs down on a mask. Absolutely. And, and you know, every business facility has a fire capacity where they go in and they see this building will hold so many people. You can cut capacity and keep people six feet apart easily in restaurants, in shopping centers. You know, she could have treated everyone the same and say, allow them to open, but at half capacity, maybe 40% of capacity, make sure people aren't around each other, make sure they're wearing masks, open up safely, with, but allow people to open up their business. And, you know, the schools, there's all kinds of things we can do. I like the fact that now that the school board has uh, turned down her order, um, the schools are being very flexible. You know, there are some two-parent homes that say, I'm going to teach my kid at home, or I have a teacher or a nanny or I have a neighbor that I'm going to network with, and I have the ability to teach my child at home. And the other kids, it's better for them to be in school. So uh, the flexibility that we have now when we leave it to local districts is much healthier than the one size fits all program that she's been trying to dictate. All right. That said, do you think there's some Republican politicians who said that COVID-19 is a bunch of baloney uh, back in March have a little bit of regret? I I, I missed the last few days of session during the outbreak when I lost my daughter, and I don't ever recall anyone saying this isn't real, a real threat. There were a handful. They, they were the minority, for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, there were some that said it was just totally bogus. It's the flu and all that stuff. No, no, I think it's pretty serious. You could look at any of the big cities and, and see that there's an outbreak. And still, we still have an outbreak. It's not going away. <laughs> no. But we are... We're doing a great job in protecting the elderly. We have figured out that the elderly suffer much stronger consequences than the young. So I know a lot of people now who have had it. Uh, it, it didn't bother them too much. They've sheltered for 14 days, and then their family members get it. But we're keeping the elderly protected, and, and that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, th- I think the elderly among the Kansas fatalities, that would be the bulk of them. I also am aware that the average age of people catching COVID in Kansas is is in the 30s now. <laughs> and wait till these college students get back to Lawrence and Wichita and Manhattan. Oh, yeah, the young are just saying to heck with it. I want to see my friends. That's that's liberty, right? That's well, that's what they're all about. And you know, the <laughs> truth of the matter is, uh, when they get it, very few of them are hospitalized or, or you know, or harmed. So but they could be giving it to somebody else who's much more susceptible. That's right. the issue there. But they're willing to take the risk. Senator Wagle, I want to ask you, what's next for you? You're not running for re-election in the Senate. You're going to be leaving that chamber uh, officially in January. What's next for you? Uh, well, I've enjoyed public service, but right now I, I need some healing time with my family. So the grandkids have been at my house a lot. Uh, there's a lot of interaction. And the fact that I can uh, put my grandkids who don't have a mom anymore with the other kids who they know well and that they can play together and, and there's things we can do together, that, that has to be my priority right now. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to get through this rough patch and see what evolves. All right. Well, best wishes with that. I, I hope the best for you. Uh, Thank you for being with us today. We're the Kansas Reflector. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.